0: to see y'all tonight i trust you're having a good week anybody yes. yeah 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 oh good 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 i'm still basking in the blessings of sunday night you know after months of uh maybe what if uh, no i don't think we can do that uh praying for clarity all of a sudden, we turn the page Sunday night, and it's like, wow, now I'm pinching myself. I still can't believe it. But anyway, praise the Lord. It's a, it's a wonderful reality. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. We want to look at verses 13 through 16 tonight. The goal, unified maturity is what I've entitled the message. Let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we do uh, thank you for the privilege to assemble in Jesus' name. And we thank you for your goodness to us, including the air-conditioned uh, auditorium that we're able to meet in tonight. And just thank you for the family of God. And, uh, Lord, we know the church is the people. That's really what it's all about. And, and Lord, thank you for feeding us. Uh, in order to be healthy, we need to be fed. And we just thank you for the privilege to uh, gather around uh, uh, the feeding of the word tonight and, and the fellowship of the saints, uh, our prayer time together. Just uh, encouraging one another in our faith. So uh, may this be a strengthening time used of you in our lives for your glory. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. Well, we have noted many times that the theme of Ephesians is the church. And uh, he starts out there kind of in chapter one with with an overview of God's grand plan of salvation from eternity past to eternity future. Kind of, kind of zeroes in then on personal salvation at the beginning of chapter 2, broadens it out to emphasize salvation is not only about yourself. You're brought into a family, a one new man, uh, where there's neither Jew nor Gentile, but there's a, there's a oneness in Jesus Christ. And then uh, we have noted that what is true in terms of our position is now to be lived out in terms of our practice. And that's what we have uh, starting in chapter 4 here. And really, in earnest, where we get into that is, is next week uh, at verse 17. So we're, we're still kind of developing some uh, positional truth a little bit here. But uh, largely, chapters 1 through 3 are doctrinal, chapters 4 through 6, uh, practical. Uh, let's have a little overview as far as the section we are currently in. <clears throat> chapter, one, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Walk Worthy of This Unity. We've already established it. Now, chapter 4, verse 3, endeavor to keep the unity. It's interesting. We don't make it, but we are to keep it. And then uh, 4 through 6, the reality of the unity positionally. Seven spiritual unities. I believe they're all spiritual unities, as we talked about. And then 7 through 16, the place of spiritual gifts in, enhance, in the enhancing of uh, practical unity. And that's what the section we uh, currently find ourselves in. Now, we have noted that all are gifted by Christ, and uh, yet there are four categories of special gifted people listed that God has given to the church, namely apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, and pastor-teachers. And uh, all of these uh, gifted individuals have a special word-based ministry. And I think their emphasis is there because of their word-based ministry, which is used by the Lord to build up the church. Uh, The place of the word is central, and these gifted individuals are used in a specific way in relationship to the word. Okay, well, we noted last time the purpose uh, that God has given as far as these uh, specially gifted people. And, of course, uh, apostles and prophets are foundational. Everything builds on them. Evangelists are kind of like church planters. That's going on. And then who follows the church planters? Well, the pastor teachers continue to build the church. And the, the purpose uh, for these gifts is for the, uh, the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. There you go. Uh, to the edifying of the body of Christ. Well, let's pick it up here uh, tonight. Uh, we continue on with this uh, theme in terms of what God is doing and, and the goal here as far as what God is doing. Let's pick it up, uh, verse 13. Let's just take one verse at a time here tonight. I think we've got enough to pick apart here. Let's have somebody read verse 13. Yeah, Albert?
1: Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ.
0: Okay, so here's the goal. He lays out the goal here. And uh, God has gifted the body. He's given special gifted people to the church. Uh, To what end? Well, till we all come to the unity of the faith. Again, the foundation was laid by the apostles and the prophets. They laid that that doctrinal foundation. They gave us the New Testament scriptures. And uh, we build on that. And that's still in place. Their ministry is still in place. It is is still being built upon, and it will be until the the church is complete. So the question here is, how long will this process go on? Well, till we all come to the unity of the faith. Uh, All means all here. And so he's talking about uh, the whole church family, uh, the universal church, till everybody arrives at uh, the unity of the faith. And, uh, of course, ultimately what this means is we're talking about the the whole body uh, corporately and uh, the universal church. And uh, all the elect will come to faith. And when everyone has come to the faith, uh, until that time, uh, we keep doing what we're doing as far as the ministry of the word. Uh, When it talks about the faith here, he's talking about the the revealed uh, body of truth that we have in the scriptures. And all ultimately are going to conform to this body of truth. There is a a group of people out here in the world called the the church. All of us conform to the truth of the scriptures. We all have come to align with the truth of the scriptures. Not perfectly. That's why we continue to grow. But we have come to uh, a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then uh, we are in process being perfected, which ultimately, uh, when will the church universal be perfected? At the rapture, right? I mean, at the rapture, it's going to be completed. The process will be completed. And that's what he's talking about here. Till we all come to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God. Notice he doesn't talk about feelings here. He's talking about knowing Christ. uh, Till we all come to the unity of the faith. We all share in this faith. And And what's it about? It's about knowing Christ until everybody in the family has come to know Christ. Nobody's going to be left out. All the elect are going to be there. Uh, we're all going to ultimately align with the truth of Christ. And uh, again, in that day uh, when the church is finally completed and when we've all come to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, um, we will all be known uh, as, as we are known, as it says in 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. And we're building towards that, that point. And notice what he says. Now, we do not have to wonder about it. He says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Again, he's thinking in terms of the whole group here. When he says to a perfect man, he's not talking about one individual. He's talking about the body as a whole group, as the one new man, the body of Christ. Perfect means mature. Till we all come to the place of maturity, full maturity, Uh, where we are corporately uh, all like Christ. We are glorified. And we don't have to wonder, because again, he continues on to to develop this, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, till the body as a whole comes to the point where we perfectly express uh, the person of Christ. That Christ will be perfectly seen in the body. This is what the goal is. And we're building towards that goal. We're we're in process. And the ministry of the Word is going forth, changing people little by little. We're being conformed to the image of Christ. And that ministry continues till we all come to the unity of the faith, every last one, uh, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature, perfectly mature, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we keep building and building and building until that glorious day when it is completed. And uh, so note a couple of slides here. The goal and standard is nothing short of the very character of Christ in every way. The goal is that the entire body might measure up to the full extent of Christ's character. Then his body will be a perfect extension of himself, perfectly reflecting Christ as God intends. So that is the goal as brought out here in verse 13. And then, uh, one more slide here. This thing is not working too good for me tonight. uh, Well, I'm not blaming you. I'm just, I'm blaming the clicker. Uh, The picture is one of maturing, based on the ministry of the word, with the goal of perfect maturity. Thus completed, maturity will be when all God's people are in perfect harmony with the word, when all are per- all perfectly know the Lord, when all perfectly reflect the character of Christ. Then the building of the church will be finished, but until then, the word-based ministries continue, building up God's people to develop maturity. You say, well, why is God, uh, <clears> that's a good question, right? Why is God, uh, you know, just drawing this out, right? I mean, we could all just wait for the rapture and say, well, then it'll all be done, you know? <laughs> Uh, why why is he waiting for us to be involved in the process in terms of this ministry of the word through these gifted individuals why doesn't god just do it instantly Have any ideas <laughs> you know that might be the best answer out there <clears throat> I yes hmm well until until all the elect are saved is what you're saying right that is true i think it's ultimately to the glory of god is is it a greater thing if god just does it or if he uses his body in the process of the maturing of, of the whole entire body it's actually a greater thing, I think, that when God does it in conjunction with And that's his desire to use the body to build up the body. And that's where he goes in this context, emphasized here. I mean, surely God could just do it, right? Wouldn't even have to wait for the rapture, right? I mean, we could have partial raptures, you know? Okay, that one say, boom, gone. I don't know who's going to share with the rest of them, but... <laughs> I mean, wouldn't have to really go through a process. God could just take us all to glory. Uh, you know, and finish the process. And that. But he has chosen to use us and to use the body of Christ and to use the gifts that he has given to the body for the building up of the body. And I think God is glorified. He's going to say, look what I did through you guys. Isn't that amazing? And we'll say, oh yeah, <laughs> that is truly amazing. So I think uh, th- that's kind of the idea. Yeah, God is going to bring it all to full completion instantly at the rapture. Everybody will be right in total tune with verse 13 here. But in the meantime, we are building towards that. There is a maturing process that's going on in the body, and God has chosen to use the body to build itself up in maturity. Okay, Um, any other thoughts here? No? All right, very good. Uh, We see here uh, as we move on. We're going to see the importance of uh, the word-based ministry. A word-based ministry uh, in conjunction with gifted people, as I've already emphasized. And uh, but what happens if there's a breakdown in the uh, emphasis of a proper word-based ministry? What happens? Say, what happens in churches? I think, uh, and I have stood on this through the years, it, my personal conviction is the most important thing that ever happens is the ministry of the Word of God. Now, other things are important, too. Don't get me wrong. It's important we worship. It's important we serve one another and care for one another and all those things. But really, the strengthening of the body happens through the Word. We've got to eat. You know, people that don't eat well, they aren't healthy. And so eating is so central and so important. And that's the emphasis uh, that we see here. Okay, uh, the goal is uh, unity of the faith. We'll all come to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a, a perfect or mature man. And to what measure? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, where we're perfectly representing Christ. And, uh, but notice, uh, there can be problems. Notice verse 14. Who wants to read that for us? Verse 14. Yeah, John?
1: That henceforth we be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wing of doctor, by the slight of men and kind of craftiness
0: whereby they lie in wait to see. Okay, thank you. A strong church is a word based church. There's no way around it. And uh, we see here in verse 14 that immaturity is means that you are not doctrinally stable. Now, by definition, we start out immature. You can't start out mature. You're not born mature, right? When's the last time a baby was born mature? You have to go back a ways, like to Adam. <laughs> uh, you start out immature. And, and what that means is... Uh, undiscerning and liable to be misled, vulnerable to deception. Uh, Notice what he says. The goal is that we grow up, uh, that we should no longer be children. Again, we start out as uh, immature babes in Christ, vulnerable. But the goal is that we move on. We mature. We don't stay there. And uh, we want to grow up. And this happens when people have a a healthy diet of sound doctrine. And uh, let me see. I got another slide here. A footnote. Oh, yeah, this is the footnote on children here. We shall no longer be children. Uh, Footnote, as an application, it would be wise for us to note that the Bible consistently depicts children as those who are typically unstable and undiscerning. I think it's wise to reflect on this principle when dealing with children as they make professions of faith. Children typically are easily swayed in their formative years. They bounce all over the place. It's hard to know where they're uh, going to land. Often their thinking and commitments change rapidly. We often say, you know, if a four-year-old says, you know, I'm going to uh, marry uh, Susan. Okay, maybe you want to think about that for just a couple years, just a couple more years. Maybe we want to maybe let that mature into a solidified commitment where, uh, you know, Uh, they're immature of course children can be saved Uh, you know i definitely see that but because of the nature of kids it is often hard to properly discern where they're at uh, spiritually until they can really stand on their own two feet and make their own decisions i remember sending my kids off to college and saying now we're going to see now we're going to see where you really stand growing up in christian culture you know you say the right things you know the right thing you know the culture backwards and forwards but where's your heart really at Uh, When it comes down to convictions, uh, where are you going to stand? And uh, so, yeah, uh, that we should no longer be children. By by nature, they tend to not be stable. And he says here, no longer children, he's talking spiritually, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Goodness, sounds like there's going to be all kinds of people out here who are going to try to derail uh, the Christian. Tossed to and fro is uh, the idea. The picture here is that of a boat in a storm that is being bounced around, unsettled and, and uh, unstable, is, is the idea here. Um, and those that have not studied deeply yet, they don't know. Uh, they're brand new, they're children. Uh, and yet it 's kind of interesting how people can get saved and pretty quickly sometimes have really dogmatic opinions about things that they 've not even really studied deeply. It is kind of interesting how that can be, but uh, you want to be careful. I remember as a brand new brand new and, and we had a little family get together and, and there was a, a guy we knew and and uh, <clears throat> he was uh very wealthy and i don't know, i don 't know how we even got to talking about this guy, but we did and i said, yep I said uh, Uh, money is the root of all evil and uh, like the guy was evil because he had a bunch of money and my uncle looked at me he says I think it says the love of money is the root of all evil (laughs) you know I was just so green. you know you think well you should know well I didn't know but you know what I never forgot I learned something that night. But uh, I was tossed to and fro, you know, uh, just a lot of examples of that. You, you don't come stable as a, as a brand new believer. Uh, and, and it's kind of good for us to know this as we're working with new believers. We got to give them space and yet we got to be a, a guide, a steady guide for them as far as teaching. Tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. Here again, the idea is blown about uh, with shifting winds, uh, the stormy winds of false doctrine is the idea here. And so uh, there is great danger for the immature uh, involving false doctrine. They're, they're just not stable. They're very vulnerable. They get sucked into things and, and get off track. Uh, let's see here. Next uh, slide here. Sound theology dictates that a true believer uh, will never fall fully and completely away from, their, from the faith. In other words, a true believer by grace will persevere in the faith, but that does not mean that they cannot be led into error and even into very serious error. The New Testament is replete with warnings to the believer on this very issue. I mean, yeah, you can really get off track. I don't think you're going to fully, completely uh, deny the faith and walk away from the the truth of Jesus Christ, but uh, you can get wobbly on a lot of areas. And that's what he's warning about here. Um, notice he's talking about uh, children. He's talking to believers, uh, immature believers. And the concern is uh, that, they, that they be stable, that they have a unity in the knowledge uh, of the Son of God uh, to the point where they, have, uh, they are mature. And then he says here, uh, oh, did I show just one slide or two? I think just one there, right? Yeah, let's do this. Uh, so often when people are mistaught as immature believers, it's very difficult to get rid of this baggage, it often follows them for years, and they really struggle to think in line with proper and sound doctrine. That's why it's so, so important that they get grounded properly. Note the critical issue here is doctrine. An immature believer does not know much about doctrine. Doctrine means teaching, referring to accurate Bible teaching. He is therefore vulnerable. He is easily swayed with every new doctrinal wind that is blowing through the church. And boy, I tell you, it's blowing. Certainly new believers by nature will be immature And how sad it is when people have been saved for years and yet they are still milk drinkers. Uh, They never grow up. They cry a lot. They mess up a lot. uh, They're chronically immature. That is pathetic. We want to move from that condition. But uh, notice he talks about here, uh, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men. Trickery is literally dice playing. Uh, It has the idea of, uh, of trickery that is associated with fraud or or when the game is rigged. And so these uh, people are deceiving. Uh, they deceive by trickery. Of course, that's the devil's thing. The devil is a, a deceiver. Uh, that's what his whole thing is. And he uses human instruments in the process uh, to take advantage of the unstable. Uh, you know the number one target for cultists? You know who it is? You think it's pagans out here? Oh, no. Nope. They want to target Christians, quote-unquote Christians, who really don't know sound doctrine very well. Yeah? You know, I I was reading an article the other day that
1: uh, said uh, 37% of people
0: that grow up in Baptist churches turn to Mormonism. Crazy. Yeah, that's a problem. Of course, we wonder, you know, how many of those were ever even really saved to start with. But... um, how far off track can you get? I mean, Mormonism, even for the very person of Christ, is way off. But if you have not been taught and you just pray to prayer, uh, you know, I was looking at this. I think Ken Ham's got something here as far as, uh, Ken Ham says we're following the wrong model. You know, uh, we have uh, what he calls uh, the, the Acts 2 model, where uh, Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost and preaches to people who got a background, you know, and 3,000 people get saved. And then, of course, we got the Acts uh, 16 model. Or is it 17? 16 or 17? Wh- whatever. Uh, Mars Hill. I think it's 17. Yeah. And uh, here, Paul doesn't assume that they've got any background. He goes back to the, the issue of creation. And, of course, that's Ken Ham's ministry. He answers in Genesis, going back to creation. we got to start... And I was thinking about this. I was reading in a magazine, um, popular... Evangelical Magazine, famous evangelist, but there's a prayer in there, you know, they're preaching the message, and there's a prayer, but it was kind of like, what would this prayer mean to somebody who has no background here? It kind of assumes that you've, you know these things already. So, yeah, if you don't know those things, I don't care what kind of little prayer, you, you pre- do you even understand what, what, you're, what you're supposedly praying or what somebody's leading you in? Uh, just mouthing words, uh, you know, do you really understand? There's a lot of emphasis on knowledge. Uh, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, that's what I'm doing with my, my buddy John here. Is, uh, I'm just trying to feed him, not show him in the Bible, and, and little by little we're building. I'm not pressing him, pray a prayer. Uh, no, I want him to see the truth and then respond to the moving of the Holy Spirit. I want, I want it to be a spirit thing. Not a Dwight thing. Say, oh, I got John on my, you know, he's a notch on my belt. You know, forget it. It's got to be the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, sorry, I got detracted there or something, but all right. Okay, uh, by the trickery of men. And all kinds of uh, cults, heretics, uh, you know, compromisers, self-serving people who want followers uh, of themselves, et cetera, et cetera. By the trickery of men. In the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Cunning craftiness is subtle deception. Uh, smooth uh, seduction, uh, smooth ma- manipulation, uh, what I call sweet reasonableness. The, the devil is good at that, makes it sound really good. Cunning craftiness, uh, very cunning, uh, very subtle and, and deceitful. Cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, showing it's, uh, it's not only deceitful, but there's a plotting involved here. Uh, there's strategies uh, you know, I think the devil looks, how, how can I get somebody off track? Maybe just a little at a time. Maybe we want to take them from a really sound Bible teaching church to one that's got some compromise in the mix. Uh, and and then, and what about the next uh, generation? You know, I mean, he, he's got a strategy here. You've got to realize the devil is very smart in what he's doing here. He's behind these agents who are doing all this stuff. Um, But uh, the idea here is uh, deceitful strategies or schemes uh, calculated. It's very calculated. Who's calculating like this? Well, ultimately, it's the devil working behind all all these people. Um, Let's see here. I think a great concern of the New Testament is that doctrinal error in the last days related to the context of the professing church. Solid Bible teachers bring stability and unity Whereas these false uh, teachings come from every direction and bring about confusion and disunity. The emphasis here in context is that biblical unity is inherently connected to spiritual maturity. And both are predicated on being grounded in the word. Everything builds on the word. So that, that's the basis, that's the basis of, our, of our unity. Okay, any other thoughts there? We finish up verse 14. Yeah, Michael?
1: especially I think values, excuse me, staying young, staying immature, not accepting responsibility, not digging into the word, because in some ways you think it's easier to have unity if you're not fighting over doctrine, if you're not hammering that stuff out, figuring it out for yourself. It's just so opposite to what you're supposed to do. It always makes sense that it would be opposite to what God wants you to do, but even in the, the progressive side of the church, you have the weakening of doctrine because if someone is a Christian, but you have them be weak in their doctrine, they can't serve Christ anyway. So mm-hmm. these things are all just in direct opposition to what we're supposed to be doing.
0: Amen. That is a profound insight there. That is amen to that, Michael. Amen. Somebody had a hand up? Yes, Bill. Uh huh. How do we understand um, Hank Hanegraaff's conversion to Eastern Orthodoxy? <laughs> oh, for a pitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, we that. RMDS, yeah. I listened to Christian radio. Sugar,
1: yeah. Because it destroyed that. It <laughs> brought me out of that. And yeah. My life, yeah. And a lot of it was Hank Hennegrave. Yeah. It nice just listening to that guy.
0: Yeah. On the radio. Right. And then all of a sudden. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. You know, a lot of us have been shaking our heads about Hank for a while here. Um, You know, I don't quite know. You know, I'm not his judge ultimately, but there's something really wrong there. Uh, How deep is it? God knows. But uh, yeah, that's scary. That's scary stuff there. The Bible answer, man. Yeah, that is scary. All right. Uh, Anyone else? Okay, let's have somebody read uh, verse 15. Who wants to read verse 15? Yeah, Kate. Thank you. So, but is a contrast word, right? We've got the toss to and fro and and all of that in verse 14. But in contrast to that, speaking the truth in love. The church is all about truth. Uh, We are uh, what we like to call a... The church is to be a truth center. We are the the pillar and ground of the truth, as as Paul says in in 1 Timothy 3.15. So, uh... Um, it's all about the truth and speaking the truth uh, is literally truthing. Uh, It's kind of interesting speaking the truth, truthing, truthing in love. It's kind of interesting because this seems to, yes, relate to speaking the truth, but also living it out, your conduct, truthing, Uh, more literally, but truthing in love. (laughs) that's That's what we're all about. Our whole life is to be about truth, whether it's speaking it, whether it's living it, uh, communicating it through our whole life, so and it 's to be in an atmosphere of love, you know some you can present the truth in in kind of a harsh, cold way that is uh, maybe counterproductive actually. Uh, how, how should we be doing it? How do you bring people along? Well, you share the truth in love. I love this by John Stott. Truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love. Love becomes soft if it is not strengthened by truth. Now, that's a good balanced statement, isn't it? Yeah, I like that from John Stott there. Amen. Okay, so uh, what happens if we speak the truth in love? Well, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. So the, the goal is to grow up in every area of our spiritual lives. that We may grow up in all things. Uh, not growing up in uh, just some things, but in all things. And by the way, if we're not growing, something is missing. Something is missing if we're not growing. And what might be missing if we're not growing? Well, it's one of two things, right? What have we looked at? Truth. If you're not growing, truth is missing. What's the other element? Uh, no, this verse. Love. Right. Truth and love. Uh, those two go together here. Speaking the truth in love that we may grow up in all things. Uh, both are needed. Grow up in all things into him who is the head. So we're, be- we're becoming more like him. We're being conformed to his image. Uh, and and he is always the goal. The direction is always towards Christ. The standard, the goal of of maturity. And he is the head. He has the preeminent uh, position. He's he's in the uh, position of authority over the church. And and you know what the head does for the body? What does the head do for the body? Anything?
1: <laughs>
0: it controls it. Right. The head is the control center. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not like your finger is controlling everything here. It's uh, it's the head. Right. So that's the idea here. Okay. Um, all right. Any other thoughts before we come to the last verse? Yes, Kurt? Well, I can't help but think, you know, Cosby is pretty prevalent now. Yep. But these verses, I think, just really are kind of his background from yeah. that, You know, the craziness oh. and all those things. Yeah. That, that
1: Right. focal point. That mm-hmm. it's about building up man. Yeah. And and I think that's where we often oftentimes see people where people come to
0: Christ thinking that you know like I think you said it the other night in the puppet master kind of thing. Yeah. You know, where I can control him
1: and he's at my will to do
0: whatever. Right. And boy, when
1: you start to see who you are in Christ. Right. Then you're and you humble and you see his glory. Right.
0: And it's, it's, you
1: only can do that through the
0: truth. Right. And just like what you're saying, you see him as the head, right? I'm not controlling him. I'm just a, a member of the body. He's the head, right? So, amen, Kurt. All right, uh, let's have somebody read uh, verse 16 to finish this out here tonight. Who wants to read verse 16? Yeah, Terry? Terry? Okay, thank you. <clears throat> so notice uh, he talks about uh, grow up in verse fifteen, grow up in all things into him. But then he says here, from whom the whole body—it's kind of interesting—the uh, source is from whom, and uh, and yet the goal is into him who is the head. And so he is both the uh, the source. As well as as the goal as far as growth here. From whom the whole body. uh, He's talking a whole body concept again here. Not individualism. uh, But we need to work in harmony as a whole body. And, And it's interesting how God is building his church. And yet we see human responsibility coming into play once again. As we so often see that dynamic between sovereignty and human responsibility. And ultimately, I say, if you're going to fall off on one side of the horse or the other, fall off on the side of sovereignty. Uh, I want a God-centered theology. Everything begins and ends with God. He's the Alpha and Omega, you know. But uh, at the same time, I don't want to divorce that reality from human responsibility in the process of sanctification here. Uh, And he doesn't. Uh, notice uh, the emphasis again here whole body. Uh, we, we do this together. Uh, the body consists of, of many members functioning together in harmony. So uh, let me ask you, uh, in terms of keywords here, things of body life, what would be the emphasis? Uh, uh, independent or interdependent? Yeah, interdependent. Right. Interdependent. Uh, we are not called to go this alone. This, this, is, this is a body emphasis. And uh, so that's the idea here. The head directs, but the, uh, the, the various members of the body uh, function in unity. And uh, when we do so, it's a, it's, a healthy, it's a healthy body, as God intended us to function together in an interdependent way. Okay, um, notice, from whom the whole body... Joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. So uh, note that word, that key word here, together. Together. Um, I always think it's a very unhealthy thing when somebody says, well, I'm a Christian. I remember asking a guy one time who, who I, to this day I think claims to be a Christian, but he hasn't darkened the door of the church in many years. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we were at a funeral, and we got to talking about, you know, and, and so I just kind of challenged him a little bit, you know, as far as, you know, are you a believer? Well, yeah. I said, well, are, are you a member of the body of Christ? Well, one to claim he was was kind of like, why would we think so? You have no connection. <laughs> you, you have no function. You have no part here. Uh, Why would I think you're a member of the body of Christ? Just because you say so, even though you operate completely contrary to that as far as your lifestyle? It doesn't make sense. Notice the emphasis here on together. Joined is the idea of harmoniously uh, close fitted. Uh, We're all dependent on the Lord, and yet God designed us to need each other and to function in harmony with each other. Joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, every joint supplies. Uh, the word joint is sometimes even translated as, a, as ligament, you know, that tissue that connects bones and holds organs in place. Uh, the idea here is a, a connectedness and every joint is connected in one way to the rest of the body. And that's the idea, we're all connected and every joint makes a contribution. And uh, every, every, everything matters, right? Uh, you 're going along i 've had this happen to me uh, you know where you have a disc slip out in your back what 's the deal it 's just a little part i mean it 's such a small percentage of the body what well, What are you whining about <laughs> it, it's, it, it It hurts uh, you know every, every joint has uh, every part has its place and has its role. And that's what he's showing here. Joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. According to the effective working by which every part does its share. Boy, there's an emphasis on every single part here. Uh, This is what it takes to work effectively uh, when each member does its part. uh, Every joint, every part. And by which every part does its share. Again, this interconnectedness uh, is is bound up in the very nature of how the body is to function, and everything revolves around this this whole body concept, and not selfism. Uh, you know, there's no place for it's all about me. Look look at me. No, it's about what God is doing through us as a group, as a whole group. That's that's the emphasis. And then he says, to what end uh, causes the growth of the body. When you've got all the parts working in harmony, it causes the growth of the body. That's the idea. When we think about involvement in the body of Christ, uh, we should not think about our wants, but rather about what is good for the body. When you get a bunch of people thinking about the good of the body... And not about their own preferences and agendas, then God is able to do great things because everyone is seeking to build up everyone else. Then the focus becomes body centered instead of self centered. But let's change this around a little bit. What about when you get a bunch of people who are thinking about self and, and, and their own preferences and their own agendas? Uh, what do you think? What do you think is going to happen? You got division. You got fighting, infighting. You you got all kinds of. It's not healthy to say the least. That's for sure. But uh, here, when uh, you got the whole body working together, it causes the growth of the body to what end? For the edifying of itself in love. Edifying is for the building up uh, of itself in love. And again, another slide here. Like the human body, which is held together by design. So the church grows through a coordinated and cooperative uh, work of its many members who, out of love for the whole community, contribute their individual gifts for the good of the whole. The Lord works in his people, and his people work in relationship to each other. Uh, I like that line. It's so good, it must have been God, because if it's it's me, it's not good. But uh, the the Lord works in his people, and his people work in relationship to each other. In those close relationships of ministry, growth and maturity take place. It's in this context that God works uh, the great work of building his church. And that always kind of amazes me that that God is we say Christ is building his church, the gates of hell will not prevail that's true, but how is he building it well he's he's using the body, notice what it says here uh, the edifying of itself in love God designed the body to build itself up that that is his Plan. And notice we have that emphasis uh, on love again. Speaking the truth in love in verse 15 now causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Three times in this chapter, by the way, we have this uh, this emphasis in love, this, this attitude or this atmosphere of love that relates to maturity. Verse 2, uh, verse 15, and now here again in verse 16. Well, Let me close out with this uh, illustration. I've used it before, but it's such a good one that, um, you know, it bears repeating. I've used it quite a few times through the years, but uh, it happened during VBS. The class of five-year-olds was interrupted by the arrival of a new person. This little boy had one arm missing. The teacher had no opportunity to learn anything about him. He simply arrived, and there he was. The teacher was nervous, concerned that perhaps one of the other children would say something to make him feel bad. There was no discreet way to caution the class, so she proceeded as carefully as possible. Soon closing time came, and so the teacher asked the children to join in their usual closing activity. She said, here's the church, here's the steeple, open it up, and suddenly it struck her that the very thing she had feared about the children doing, she was now doing, because the new little boy only had one arm and therefore could not participate. As the teacher stood speechless, a little girl sitting next to the boy reached over with her left hand and placed it up against his right hand and said, Here, Davy, let's build the church together. <laughs> let's build the church together. You know, that's what God, that's what God designed. It's a, it's a together uh, thing. Uh, you can't build the church by yourself. It just, it, it, there has to be this, causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Uh, and every part has to do its share. Uh, every joint uh, supplies, so uh, we have that, that emphasis on it has to be done together. All right, any other thoughts as we wrap up here tonight? Yes, Marianne. I just love this last verse, verse 15, well, verse it's, it's a whole body. A That's right. It's like everybody has a part here. Nobody's left out. That little disc. That little disc in the back matters. Michael?
1: Uh, maybe it's too big of a question, but um, in it, the biblical context, there's a lot of emphasis on the local church. Um, there were times of persecution. Everybody had to band together. There's a lot of emphasis on unity because of doctrine. In the American church, America's very pro-individualism, liberty, freedom. We have maybe how many churches in the Omaha Council Bluffs area? Oh. And there are likely believers spread throughout all of these churches. In the local body, like our specific church we have, all the members working together as this one body, it, it seems like there should be unity beyond just that single church building. In a, in, a, in a place where, historically speaking, people were killed for their faith, they had to learn to work through different differences, We live in a context where instead of working through any differences, it's easier to just go to the church down the street or, you know, across the river. Is there a way to have the unity that I think we should have without falling into the the big ecumenical problems that have happened when you have, you know, Mormons and Catholics and Christians all trying to work together? There should be some sort of middle ground where actual believers should be able to overcome some of these differences to work together instead of everyone operating on such a minute
0: body, I would think. That's a great, thoughtful question, Michael. Uh, it's, it's complex. Uh, as we look at the scriptures, it's interesting, because what you're really talking about is uh, like-minded churches working together. And we have some of that in the book of Acts, which is uh, where they're, they're working together to take up an offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem. But Paul is kind of facilitating that. But outside of that, we really don't see, you know, clear examples of ongoing, like, I'm not saying they shouldn't be and weren't doing this, but we just don't have a lot of examples of this. We have seven churches in the book of Revelation. And it's interesting, uh, you know, um, they were maybe close enough to do some things together once in a while, those churches in Asia, Uh, but there's not an emphasis on that. It's kind of interesting, uh, when you get, you know, like we had the the Promise Keeper movement, we didn't get involved in that. And, And that's kind of what you're saying, that's kind of a middle ground in a sense, but they also wanted to bring the Catholics in. And so there was like, we don't feel comfortable with that, even though, you know, for the most part, these guys are evangelicals, you know, where we're at. So it, it gets complicated in a hurry. We do try to maintain a fellowship with uh, like-minded churches, you know, the pastors that I get together with, um, and some including in the, the Omaha Council Bluffs here. We, we could probably do more in that regard. It kind of, what it requires is, is some leadership for sure. Who's going to step forward and do this? Um, it's uh, challenging. How, how do you do it as far as, uh, you know, I get invited constantly to the Ministerial Association Council bus. I wouldn't go there ever. I mean, it's just a bunch of apostates, basically. I, I don't think there's any, but as far as, uh, yes, Marianne? When you promise keepers, though, that's the Church. Yep. Uh-huh. Right. It was a blend of things. It was, para, it was a, you know, a parachurch guy who's heading it up, but, you know, we're wanting to involve all the local churches. You know, that was, that was the idea here. Under the parachurch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the paradigm is wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I was really out when they all wanted to meet down at the, the the Roman Catholic Church on the west end of town. It was like, no, my guys are not going. We're not going as far as anything I have to say about it. But yeah, that's a great question, Michael. Uh, one that we could bounce around for a while. Um, yeah, on the one hand, there's concern about, you know, and, and it's so interesting. I mean, you get Spurgeon in the downgrade controversy in the Baptist Union, you know, over 100 years ago. And he saw a compromise in the Union And so he broke away from the union. You say, well, Spurgeon, maybe you ought to work with this. No, he saw the seeds of compromise were too deep in there. And he said, if we don't take a stand and break out of it, it's all going to go south. And it did. He said, history will prove me right. And it did. Uh, We've got a lot of what you're talking about going on in the Southern Baptist movement right now, uh, where some of the Southern Baptists are very open to women preachers. And then uh, you have very solid uh, Southern Baptists yet, too. And so it's like, well, what do we do? How, how, do we, how do we work this? And so when you have some compromise in the mix, how do you deal with that? You know, it, it, it is complicated when you get in on any size, uh, you know, when you get, when you look at the bigger picture here, it's it, very complicated. I don't know. That's a good question, Michael. You're kind of stumping me on that one just a little bit. <laughs> It's a good question, though. Uh, I I do see. You know, we're talking about the universal church here in, in Ephesians, right? And the, and the goal is unity, for sure.
1: entire area will we bond together more or will we split over more differences it seems like we should be able to overcome these things but we've been allowed to maybe ignore them because of our freedoms
0: yeah you very well may be right in a lot of ways there yes bill I think you're onto something there, Bill, because I've thought about this a lot, too. And I remember uh, uh, my mentor, John Whitcomb, used to talk about this. In one sense, when you have a huge denomination and it goes south, it goes south altogether. But when you have uh, local churches that are independent, this one might go, but that doesn't necessarily affect this one over here as it would as if you're in a, in a denominational group. So I do think there is something for independent local churches. And it's interesting, Christ addresses each one of those local churches in the book of Revelation individually for what they individually were doing and not what they were doing collectively. So um, again, I think we do want to be, you know, of, in fellowship, uh, book of Acts, you know, there was some fellowship as far as supporting the poor saints there. And yet I do you want to emphasize the local church, you know, us being faithful, and yet we want to have some level of, of fellowship with those that are like-minded, for sure. But I definitely don't want to get into a denominational kind context where we're linking up with a whole bunch of... I think it needs to kind of stay on an informal basis, so to speak. So I remember John Whitcomb saying, too, you know, you had uh, uh, the Tower of Babel, and he said it was kind of a a... a, a God thing. It was a God thing, totally, where they talk, you know, different languages, and they all split up and went their different ways. Well, that kind of prevented the whole thing from just total absolute apostasy that's, you know, irreversible. Um, So God's got his ways, and uh, yeah, I think we want to have fellowship with those that are like-minded, we try to do that to some extent, but yeah, we could probably do some more things as far as, you know, who are the Bible church- teaching churches in town here, for example. Um, those that I would feel comfortable really having some close fellowship are probably not that terribly many, but there are some. I'm sure
1: it's just difficult because in the Bible, I think that you had a different context, but there's there's obvious huge values in having a local church be geographically local to you. Mm-hmm. So we have entered a technological
0: age. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know it really gets complicated as a pastor. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of people come from our church that came from other Bible teaching churches for whatever reasons. Uh, we've had people leave Southview go to those other churches. Now it's kind of interesting us all coming together. <laughs> it, it's an interesting dynamic. Uh, so lots of that's a that's a good that's a good thought question though, Michael. I commend you on the question. I don't have it all totally figured out exactly, but. I do see those seven local churches being personally addressed, each one of them by Jesus Christ saying, are you uh, as a local church being what you should be? And not that, hey, you guys all need to collectively be uh, doing something together. It doesn't have that emphasis there. So my main concern, honestly, in my ministry and my teaching is that we as a local church be faithful. And certainly then as we're out here touching other believers' lives, we'll have fellowship there. All right, good interaction. Anything else? Okay, let's share some prayer requests.